So I was born in, uh, I was born in Victoria and uh, grew up the first nine years of my life there. And it was a very, uh, very tight community. Uh, it's much smaller than it is now, which is saying something. Uh, and, uh, and very cohesive type of community. Kind of help you understand that you know, my, my first grade school teacher and my first grade Sunday school teacher were the same woman. And she followed me. Matter of fact, she had the last thing, last uh, letter I got from her was when I graduated from seminary, and uh, she died not long after that. But she followed me all my life. So it was a very cohesive type of community and very tight knit, and, and and that's what I grew up with. And then when I was nine, we moved to, to Corpus Christi, and Corpus was a very different community, and it was a very hard adjustment for me to go from uh, the the little place in Victoria uh, into the midst of Corpus, and I and I struggled. Uh, mightily with that through my uh, my fourth grade year was really rough uh, when I got into Corpus Christi and I tell people you know I fought my way through fourth grade and, and I don't mean that figuratively I mean that literally I fought my way through fourth grade and and after my first ER visit after one of those fights in fourth grade uh, I kind of made my mind up I wasn't doing that anymore uh, and, uh, and so I began to work on, you know, what is it, how, do I, how am I going to negotiate this? And how am I going to work with this? And how am I going to do this without, you know, constantly being in this battle? And, and, and what happened was over the course of a year or so, uh, I, I learned basically to be a chameleon. Um, you know, whatever group I was with, uh, I learned to fit into that group. And so I could, I could kind of engage wherever I was uh, so that I wasn't constantly having to be in these fights and, and battles. And, 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 you know, when I was at church on Sundays, I was there with the good church kids, and I was a good church kid, you know, and, and I did that. When I was a scout group, I was with the scouts. I did all that. And uh, when I was with the smart kids at school, I was smart and made good grades. And uh, when I was with uh, the, the tough kids at school, I was tough. And when I was with the mean folks, I could be mean. And, and when I was with the dope heads, I could do the drugs. I mean, I could do whatever I needed to do to fit into whatever group that was. And, and that's kind of how my life was for the next several years. Um, and, and as I came into middle school, um, I, I, I reached this kind of place where I, I really, I, I, I was really wandering in the wilderness. Um, if you had asked me in that period of time, who are you and, and what do you really believe in, I, I would not have been able to give you an answer. Uh, because I was just whatever I happened to be with at the moment. And, and it became a very um, confusing place uh, to be in life, um, uh, a very hard place to be in life where, where you don't really know who you are or what path you're supposed to be on or how you're supposed to be acting, and, and you're constantly trying to fit in with whatever group and uh, seek that group's approval uh, and, and mesh with that group. And so you're always in that kind of place of, of working yourself to, to get approval from whatever group you happen to be with, uh, regardless of whatever. Uh, and, and some of those groups were uh, groups that did things that were constructive. Uh, other groups that were, were very destructive in my life. And I just kind of went wherever I did. And, and, uh, and, and it really was this sense of, you know, wandering in the wilderness, um, you know, and, and not knowing, you know, where you're supposed to be or what path you're supposed to be on or what you're supposed to look like. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in middle school, when, uh, when uh, folks who watched me and loved me and held on to me through that time uh, managed to kind of reground me and, and bring me back uh, to who I was, um, you know, I came back to that place of, of this passage of Scripture, uh, you know, being, being not simply something you read, you know, leave me in pass for, for his name's sake, but it, it really came to be a prayer because I, I had no idea what path I should be on, and I had no idea who I was or where I belonged. 
And I suspect some of you know that feeling. Let's pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I, I came back to this place of, you know, he leads me in right paths for his name's sake because I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and how do you define that? And, and how do I figure out where I'm supposed to be going and what I'm supposed to be or who I'm supposed to be in this life? And, and that kind of place of, of massive confusion and, and being in the wilderness. And, and, you know, as we've moved through this week, you know, it's just, I, you know, it's kind of a deja vu kind of thing for me going through this week and thinking about the events uh, over in Santa Fe and wondering about, you know, how, how many folks around us are in that place? You know, how many of our folks, I mean, I can't help but think that we have people all around us who, who are living in that place where they're wandering in the wilderness and they, and, and they don't know who they are. They don't know who they belong to. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, they can't discern that, and, and they don't have the tools to take that apart. And, 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 and what, are we, what are we showing them? So for me in that time, one of the things that happened, as I talked about, being led on the path of righteousness was that uh, I, I had this, this grandmother in my life who, who just modeled that day in, day out, this woman who had lived through so much and been through so much hardship and was such a strong woman of faith. And, uh, you know, she, she did every morning, she did, you know, her Bible study and her devotion and, and did that every day. She taught the Bible study class at First Methodist Church in Corpus Christi until she was literally physically unable to get there. Uh, and, and she taught it at a level that probably only, the only person in this congregation could, could match would be Dave Lutz. Uh, you know, professor of Old Testament, you know, I mean, I mean, she had that she was this amateur scholar and she had this library in her home. And, and, you know, I, I was young and foolish enough that when she died, I didn't t- hold on to all of that. I should have, you know, now that I know how much all those books cost, you know, but, but, uh, but I let a lot of that stuff go. But, but, but she had this intense kind of study and an intense kind of devotion to that. And, and out of that, you know, there were passages that she had taught me that, you know, began to speak back into my life. Um, as I was trying to put it back together and, you know, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you're the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. This, this you know, make me know, you know, teach me. I mean, I don't, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the truth is. I, I need you to, to put me on that path and show that to me. Proverbs, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your own paths. It's, when you're in the wilderness, that's when you realize just how bad your insight really is. You know, we, we have kind of a conceit that we live with a lot of times that we understand things and we get it. Well, when you end up in the middle of the wilderness, that's when all of a sudden you realize that you don't get it at all. And you don't know where you are or where you're going. The psalmist says, I don't turn away from your ordinances, for you've taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And some of you remember the, the song, you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we were, we were singing that back through those years and way back when. And, uh, and the reality of saying, okay, I, I need you to show me this because I don't know how to discern it. So I, I, I need your help with that. Uh, and in the midst of that, you know, I, as I struggled and went back in, went back into Scripture, you know, one of the things that I, I began to do was think about, you know, other kinds of things that were challenges to, to thought outside of Christian faith. So, you know, my undergraduate degrees in philosophy, and that wasn't just an accident, but that's what I majored in. And, uh, and, and so I went through that so that I could read and, and study other kinds of thoughts. Uh, 
Uh, I, I, I spent a whole semester studying Friedrich Nietzsche. I spent a whole semester studying Karl Marx, uh, uh, ethics, uh, Hegel, Hume, all these different, Bertrand Russell, you know, all these different folks and reading all this stuff and sorting through all of that and, and, and trying to make sense out of it and, and discovering that in every system of thought, every system of thought is based on some kind of a faith statement or value. They all come down, there's some place, if you burrow down in them, there's some place, there's some value statement down there that is assumed, is assumed, and on this thought, and on this value, everything is based. And, and begin to understand that, you know, really, all we're doing is playing with different kinds of faith. That's, that's all we're doing in this life. Uh, I, I love, I took uh, several classes in, in formal logic. Uh, which is, uh, you know, really, if you haven't done that, you know, that's math, I've got a bunch of math stuff too. But, but the logic stuff helps you learn to think, and it's, it's been really fun because, you know, Forrest also did a philosophy degree, and so he took all those classes. So it's kind of fun because we can sit and talk to each other and pick apart people's arguments and stuff and say, well, you know, why is he saying this and all that, and except that I think he's actually better at it than I am. But anyhow, uh, he's probably learned it better than I did. But, but, you know, to go through that and kind of learn to do that and, and, and understand and, and begin to, to kind of see things differently and, and, and to understand that, you know, really to stand on my faith is, is a valid thing to do. That my faith has as much grounding and validity as anything else out there. In fact, it, it may have more because there's really no other system of thought that has as many people over as many years who have found it to be a good thing in their lives. And, and, and so, you know, it kind, of, it kind of drove me back into that. I mean, I don't know if you all think about that. Let me, let me, so here, here in the United States, you know, we have this great value about the, the value of individual rights, right? The right of the individual. And that's, that's become in our, our day, this has kind of become kind of a hyper-individualistic culture. You know, that's the, the supreme kind of right is the right of the individual. And, and <clears throat> nobody really argues with that. I mean, I, you're, you may not be aware of this or you may not have thought about it. But, you know, here's the deal. The right of the individual, the value of the individual. Bernie Sanders and Paul Ryan would both agree about that. They would express it very differently, and the legislation they would bring would look very different, but that value is shared. If you went to them and said, oh, no, 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 the right of the individual should be sacrificed for the collective, right, that would be a radical statement. And most of you would hear that as communism or totalitarianism or fascism, right? I mean, we, 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 we move in, in all this, and there's all these competing faith claims and all these different things that are pulling us one way or the other. And, and, and you know, in, in the middle of that, you know, where do you find your grounding? And so working through that gave me an ability to say, you know, this is where I'm going to stand. I mean, this is where I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand, I'm going to be on this grounding with my faith because, because this has as much validity as anything else, and this has blessed us more than anything else. And, and, and it pushed me. It pushed me to become intentional about that. Now, now, as I leaned into that and I began to get more serious about studying Scripture and everything, one of the things I had to learn was that, you know, I, I needed God's help with that. I mean, when Paul writes to Timothy, you know, he reminds him, you know, all Scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And there's some important language in there. This, it's all, it's inspired. It's God-breathed. God has breathed the Spirit into it. God's breathed the life of the Spirit into it. And here on Pentecost Sunday, you know, remember the, the importance of the life of the Spirit. Because without the life of the Spirit, and it's just dead words on a page, without the life of the Spirit, Spirit, when you read it, you're just taking those dead words and you're going to make them mean whatever you want them to mean. 
instead of letting God speak into your life. And so you're going to conform Scripture to what you want to do instead of allowing your life to be conformed to what God wants to do. And when our brother Paul, who wrote these words, when our brother Paul was walking on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians and he ran smack into the living Christ, you know, God just, God just reoriented him. God rearranged him. It wasn't something Paul wanted to do or intended to do. It was the living spirit of God that he encountered. The early disciples, Jesus tells them three times, I'm going I'm to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm, and then I'm going to be raised up. He tells them three times, but they don't understand it until they encounter the living Christ, the very presence, the life of God. The early church, you know, they go to Jerusalem, and Jesus says, you've got to wait there until you know, the power comes on you. Just, just wait. And so it, they really can't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes in and this life comes into them. You have to be inspired. You have to have this life of God moving in you. Too many of us in, in the church, you know, we, we, we want to read Scripture and understand it all and do all that kind of stuff, but we, we, we don't claim this inspiration of God. We don't live into the life of God. And so we don't become righteous. We become self-righteous. You know, self-righteous, you know what that means, right? It means being right with yourself. Not being right with God. Being right with yourself. I mean, you have, to, you have to invite God into it. You hear that? So that everyone who belongs to God, you belong to God, to encounter the, the presence of God, to be adopted into the family of God, to become a child of God, to know yourself to be owned by God in his family and claimed by him, to be able to stand on that place in the midst of everything and know who you are and who you belong to. You know, if you've ever wandered in the wilderness, what an amazing thing it is to come to that place of standing and knowing who you are and who you belong to and where you need to go. To be inspired, to, come, to, become, to become a child of God. So, so, you know, you begin to, to lean into that and you begin to live into that and you begin to work into that. And, and Bob Lively talks about this some in his book. And he says, you know, when, you, when you've had this experience of God, when you've encountered God in this way, uh, and he talks about specifically in terms of, you know, leaning into that prayer that we talked about last week, you know, being made to lie down and being beside the still waters and being restored. He says, when you come into that and you do it, it changes, it changes the way you own your faith or the way your faith owns you. With him, the shepherd, as our God, we find ourselves willing to step into the marketplace and into our professional and personal relationships with a new perspective that encourages us to focus on only one thing, doing what's right. Prior to our encounter with the shepherd and for the whole of our lives before the perspective we gained by being made to lie down and long before we found ourselves in a place where we might learn for the first time what it meant to listen, we were far more interested in being right then we were much interested in doing what is right. But strangely, being right no longer possesses the power it once held over our every decision. Today, we, to our astonishment, find ourselves dedicated to doing what is right rather than in proudly working to convince ourselves and the world that we are right. To leave behind that, that self-righteousness and, and simply to say, okay, Lord, lead me, lead me, and I'll go. Because I know I belong to you, and I know that you'll take me in places that are good for me. That you'll see that I'm fed, and I'm nourished, and I'm restored.
And so, so just leave me. I mean, for, for so many of us in the church, you know, what gets in our way is, is, is what Bob talks about in his book, which is, you know, this, this sense of pride, you know. Okay, lead me so that I can be better than other people, right? <laughs> lead me so that I can be the holy one in the group. You know, lead me so that I can be right and you're wrong, right? I mean, that's, we, we have this real temptation to go there. This real temptation to be in that place, this, this sense of pride that, that overcomes us. And, and we begin to, to brag about things. You know, I'm so proud of my humility. Excuse me? <laughs> what? Right? And people that like to brag about their sin, I love this, they like to brag about their sin so they can show you how humble they are. I'm going, really? Really? I mean, that, that, we, do, we go there all the time. We have this sense of pride that comes in. And, and what Bob says is you, you hear the language, right? I mean, the language is leading in past for his name's sake. Don't, don't lead me in past for my glory or my aggrandizement, but, but lead me for your glory and for your being lifted up so that people will see you. Because, you know, in the midst of this world, I mean, my gosh, in the, in the midst of this, all this stuff that's going on, the wilderness that's out there around us and people wandering, you know, it, they don't need to see me. They need to see God. They don't need to see you. They need to see God. And if we look just like everybody else because we're pursuing all of our own ends and our own desires, are we any different? You know, if, if we're all really into this whole thing with individual rights, you, you, you understand that when we are all focused on, on our individual rights, that, that that means my individual rights are going to conflict with your individual rights. And so that emphasis means that there can always only be discord and conflict. And the only way for there to be unity and harmony is for us to be willing to lay that down and seek something higher. To seek something higher. Not because we have to, but because we want to, because we desire to. For his name's sake. So that when the world looks at us, they're seeing something of the glory of God manifested on the face of the earth. Lead me in passive righteousness for his name's sake. Bob tells a story about this in his book. He talks about being in Dallas, and he was at a uh, congregation that was in uh, a changing neighborhood. And, and so, you know, as, as they were struggling and all that, they were thinking about, what does it mean for us to be in this neighborhood? You know, what does it mean for us to be the people of God in this neighborhood? And one of the things he did was they, they started a feeding ministry. They called it the stew pot. Uh, and incidentally, it's still in operation in Dallas. Uh, but they began this ministry, and, and Bob was very instrumental in getting it up and off the ground and getting it started. And, and for 10 years while he was there, he worked with that and, and helped to build it up. And, and, you know, it became, you know, a really big deal. And other churches joined together with him. And, uh, you know, they began to feed thousands and thousands of people. And, and then at a certain point in his career, his ministry called him away to a different place. And so he, he moved. And about 10 years later, there was a big 20th anniversary celebration of the stew pot. And so he he thought, oh, this is going to be great, right? And he kept waiting, and no one sent him an invitation to the 20th anniversary. And when he started reading the history of that, nowhere in the history of it was his name mentioned. And that really began to bother him, that after all that he had put into that, no, no one would mention his name, no one would remember him, no one would invite him back. And he began to find himself filled with resentment over the fact that, that, that he wasn't being remembered in the middle of this. And he realized, he realized what a twisted thing that was. You know, that 
uh, he was taking the celebration of this ministry and he was making it about himself. And so he, he went to a counselor, a spiritual counselor, to, to seek advice and to talk to this person about this and, and, and try to you know, work through it. And, and the person was talking to him and said, okay, well, Bob, let me ask you a question. Why did y'all start this? And, and Bob said, well, we started it because people were hungry. And the counselor says, no, I don't think so. I think you started it because you were hungry. And Bob says, that's not possible. I've never been hungry a day in my life. And the counselor said, well, that's true. You weren't hungry for food, but you were starved for recognition. Yeah. Lead me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for mine, for his. How often do we lean into our faith because we want the glory and we want the credit? So as Bob was struggling through this and wrestling with this, he went with a friend of his to an AA meeting, and he said that night there was a gentleman in that meeting that said something that stuck with him. Um, and this gentleman said, I have 40-plus years in this program, and today I am no longer afraid. The Lord to whom I surrendered every day did it all. I did nothing and can do nothing without him. So a couple things. First off, for all of you who think that recovering from addiction is an easy thing, you know, I mean, you need to hear that 40 years. It's not. It's not. It's a, it's a daily battle over a long period of time. But the other part of that is you hear, you hear the surrender in that. I did nothing and can do nothing without him. I mean, we, we have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in the recovery movement because the, the, the despair in the wilderness of their life has forced them to be honest about themselves. Force them to admit, I am powerless over the sin in my life. I can't overcome it on my own. I can't overcome it. I am powerless over it. I can't overcome it. I can't do this except with the help of God. Only God working in me can overcome this. I mean, lead me in passive righteousness for his name's sake. You hear that? Lead me. Don't just tell me what I need to know and let me pick it out. Don't listen to me when I tell you what the path is supposed to be, God. But hear me when I, when I come to you and, and, and I just say, you know, okay, I, I don't know. So I, 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 need you, I need you to lead me. You know, our brother Paul would write to the church in Galatians uh, and, and would express that kind of sense of surrender like this. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer me. Sounds a lot like Jesus when he talks to the disciples, right? If you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily because if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Lead me. Lead me. Don't, don't, don't let me pick out the path. Don't demand that I try to figure it all out. Lead me. Here's the keys to my life, God. <laughs> you drive. You take me where you want me to go. I trust you to know. And here we are on Pentecost Sunday. And who's in charge of your life? Who's choosing the paths? Who's deciding the truth? Who's telling you where to stand and where to go? Well, I want you to know, until you, until you put the keys in God's hand, you're just going to wander in the wilderness. Maybe today's the day to change that.
Let's pray. Mighty God, here we are wandering. <laughs> and we're in the midst of people who are wandering. We, we watch the things happening around us and we, 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 we just become so aware that so many of us, we don't, we don't know who we are. We don't know who we belong to. We don't know where we should be going. We can't tell truth from falsehood. We don't, can't separate good from evil. And too often we, the church, instead of, instead of being that place where people look and, and see your glory, we, we look just like everyone around us because we're wandering. So, Lord, Lord, hear us this morning. We were, we're your sheep. We don't know how to feed ourselves. We don't know how to care for ourselves. We don't know where we should be. So we need you to come and lead us, to take us to those places where we're nourished, to take us where those places where we're rested, where we're restored, to take us to those places where we are reminded who we are and who we belong to, to lead us in the midst of this world in a way that that shows your glory and your love and your grace. So, Father, hear us this morning. We're giving you the keys. You drive. We'll go where you tell us. Amen.